Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. I'm not going to sign up for adversity necessarily, but I have found that whether you sign up or not, if you're God's child, He'll allow us to go into times of difficulty. He'll He'll allow us to go into times of suffering. He'll allow us to go into trials. This is part of the Christian life. It's not an unusual thing, although sometimes we think it is. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 46 through 52. Now, here's Pastor Brian. And here we are, the grand finale of Jeremiah. So we're going to pick up in chapter 46, and we're going to go all the way through to the end, chapter 52. And so the way we're going to do it is, I mean, similar to what we've been doing, just maybe a slight bit different where... I'm going to read as little as possible. I've got a few highlighted passages that I want to comment on, so we'll, we'll sort of camp at those as we go through. But, but as we come to these chapters, you're going to be thankful to me in the end that we didn't read them all the way through because it's just tons of judgment being declared upon these various nations. And so... We'll get through that. Hopefully we can get through that in, in a good amount of time. That's the plan, all right? So here we are. As we, as we pick up in chapter 46, as I said, this is the beginning of these judgments that Jeremiah is going to pronounce on the nation. So this is, once again, taking us back in time. As we've seen, we've come to the end of of uh, Judah as a nation. We saw that Jeremiah himself, along with others, was taken to Egypt. And that sort of brings us to an end to the narrative portion. So now we go back in time and we have these judgments that, that the Lord gave Jeremiah to pronounce at certain earlier points in the history. And so the nations that are going to have these judgments pronounced upon them are Egypt, Philistia, Moab, Ammon, Edom, Damascus, Kedar, Hazor, Elam, and Babylon. So if you, if you were to look at all of these nations today, these are nations like Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, of course, is the same, Iran, Arabia, and Gaza. So as, as we look at these prophecies, they have a near fulfillment, which would have been through the judgment that came upon them by Nebuchadnezzar. But we have to recognize they also have a distant fulfillment. And in some cases there are still things in the future that are yet to take place with these nations. And 
And I think very specifically with Babylon, and we'll look at that in detail when we get to the prophecies against Babylon. So what I want to do again, like I said, is I just want to highlight certain portions here, beginning with the judgment here that the Lord pronounces on Egypt. So chapter 46, the word of the Lord, which came to Jeremiah the prophet against the nations, against Egypt, concerning the army of Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, which was by the river Euphrates in Carchemish, and which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, defeated in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. And so remember Pharaoh Necho, this this man Pharaoh Necho, he was the one who killed King Josiah in battle. And maybe you remember Josiah was, was trying to prevent him from going to this battle. And when he intervened, uh, Necho killed him in, in the battle that they were in. So now here Jeremiah pronounces the judgment upon Pharaoh Necho. And we see that he was defeated by Nebuchadnezzar in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Now, what I want to do here is just move past all of these different details of the judgment on Egypt. And I want us to look at verse 27, because as God is declaring the judgment that he's going to bring upon Egypt, he then at the same time, he encourages Israel. And so he says in verse 27, but do not fear, O my servant Jacob, and do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your offspring from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest and be at ease. No one shall make him afraid. Do not fear, O Jacob, my servant, says the Lord, for I am with you. For I will make a complete end of all the nations to which I have driven you, but I will not make a complete end of you. I will rightly correct you, for I will not leave you wholly unpunished. So this is uh, just something to note. The Lord says, I will make a complete end of all of these surrounding nations or the nations that afflicted them. But that... He would, he would not do uh, that with them. So, so this is where we see a projection out beyond the time of Jeremiah and Nebuchadnezzar and so forth. Because Nebuchadnezzar conquered these nations, but he didn't make a complete end of them. And yet there is a, a judgment that will come upon them in the future. But God declares to Israel, as he has done many times here through Jeremiah, that although he will chasten them, he will not make a complete end of them. So remember back in chapter 31 and also in chapter 33, there were those prophecies where God said, in essence, if the, the sun, moon, and the stars could cease before me, then Israel would also cease to be a nation. So God declares that Israel is going to be a nation forever. And we talked a little bit about how even some in the church historically have embraced the idea that, that national Israel is a thing of the past, that God worked through Israel 
for that long period of time, but when they rejected the Messiah, God totally and completely and permanently rejected them, and he replaced them with the church. So that's the teaching that many in the church over the centuries have embraced. But as we pointed out, we think that is the wrong view, especially considering the things that Jeremiah has already said and that he's saying now. He's, God's saying, I will not make a complete end of you. So some theologians and churchmen say, yes, God has made a complete end of Israel. They no longer exist. The church has replaced them. God says, no, I will not make a complete end of you. So, but again, just the, the encouraging word to Israel, even though they are yet to go into captivity, God, even prior to the captivity, is promising the restoration, which we've seen him do many times. And so chapter 47, we have the judgment on Philistia, the land of the Philistines. And the two places that I want to point out to us that are specifically mentioned are Tyre and Sidon, and then Gaza. Ashkelon is mentioned as well. These were uh, cities of the Philistines. But looking at this from a current, from the current moment, uh, Tyre and Sidon would be Lebanon. And Gaza, of course, would be Gaza. And something just to point out is in, in Lebanon, you have the Hezbollah, which is this terrorist organization that is dead set on the destruction of the nation. And in the south, in Gaza, you have Hamas with the same ideology and the same intent toward Israel. So as God is talking about this final judgment on Philistia, again, there, there was a judgment under Nebuchadnezzar, but there's probably something in the future that is being referred to here as well. Chapter 48 deals with the nation of Moab. Against Moab, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. Now, Moab, Moab, Ammon, and Edom, those three nations, Ammon was the more northern. These are on the other side of the Jordan River. So Ammon was the most northern, and you find Ammon today in the city of Ammon. That's the connection, and the city of Ammon, of of course, is the capital of Jordan. As you went south, you then came to Moab, and Moab stretched to about the very southern part of the Dead Sea, and then Down beyond the southern part of the Dead Sea, you had the area of Edom. All of that area today is Jordan. So the prophecies here that deal with Ammon and Moab and Edom, if there's a future prophecy contained here, then it's a prophecy concerning what we know today as Jordan. But I want us to look at verse 11 when it comes to Moab. And... It's interesting what's said here about Moab. It says, Moab has been at ease from his youth. He has settled on his dregs and has not been emptied from vessel to vessel, 
nor has he gone into captivity. Therefore, his taste remained in him, and his scent has not changed. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I shall send him wine workers who will tip him over and empty his vessels and break the bottles. Now, what's being talked about here is that basically what God is saying is Moab is ripe for judgment because Moab has been at ease. They have been in comfort. They have lived in this state of luxury and indulgence for a long, long time. And because of that, they've settled into all kinds of wickedness. And so for that, God is going to send them workers. In other words, he's going he's gonna, to, the picture is these, um, these wine vats. He's going to tip them over. In other words, he's going to cause trouble for Moab. And it's interesting when you look at this because there's a, in, in a sense, there's a principle in this and we see it, it's almost universal that people who grow up in luxury, people who grow up in comfort, people who never experience difficulty or, or challenges or trials or troubles are, are people that quite often their character is extremely lacking. And they have, no, they have no real depth to them. And this is the, the condition of the whole nation, but this is also the condition of individual lives. And this is the condition of nations. When you see nations, and our nation is a prime example, when you have nations that have long, long seasons of prosperity with a little to no real extreme challenges or difficulty, you, you have a, a people that become complacent. And you have a people who become idle and slack. And you have a people who sink deeper and deeper into sin. Sodom and Gomorrah, we think of Sodom and Gomorrah. We think of the, the sin of Sodom. We think mostly of the sexual immorality that was in Sodom, which was indeed a factor. But when we study Ezekiel, Ezekiel tells us that the sin of Sodom was an abundance of bread and idleness of hands. And that was what precipitated all of the other vileness that they ultimately sunk into. And, but you see this, this pattern historically. And so where there's an abundance of bread, where there's prosperity, where there's ease, where there's idleness of hands, uh, people, societies tend to sink deeper and deeper into sinful behavior. And like I said, I think that that's a pretty accurate description of our nation currently. It's a very accurate description of many of of the nations of the West. The Western nations have been the prosperous nations and have drifted into this kind of idleness and things. Now, this doesn't mean, obviously, that that's the case with every single individual, and it's not necessarily the case with all the people groups within the nation. I mean, some, you know, there are poor people. There are people who have 
sets of challenges and difficulties for a variety of reasons. And it might not be the case there, but just kind of collectively speaking, this is what you see when people are at ease. And this was the, the situation with um, King Asa. We studied through the Chronicles and the Kings, and maybe you remember King Asa. He, in the early days of his reign, he has this massive army come against him, and he just cast himself on the Lord to protect him. And God does. And at that stage, Asa is young. He's not really experienced. Uh, The kingdom hasn't prospered under his reign or anything like that. So he's at a, a place of weakness, and he knows where to go. He goes to the Lord. But then they experience this great victory, and then they have this long season of prosperity, 25 years of prosperity. And at the end of 25 years of prosperity, another military force comes against them. And this time, they don't even think to turn to the Lord. Instead, they trust in their military might. They trust in their their strength. They trust in the, the fact that they've figured out how to be a strong and powerful nation. And in their failure to trust the Lord, they not only end up defeated, but the king who had been the one to trust the Lord early on and doesn't, he's rebuked by the Lord, King Asa. And the prophet comes to him, and I think it's Second uh, Chronicles 16.9, I think is the verse there. The prophet comes to him, and he, he pretty much says, when you were small in your own eyes, you trusted God, and now you've become overconfident, and so that's what's, what's brought your downfall. And then the prophet says this. He says, for the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And you, Asa, have acted foolishly in not trusting God. And so, again, just the point that the prosperity is oftentimes the thing that leads to the demise of nations. And that was the case with Moab. They were going to be judged, and they were going to be judged because of the depth of the the sin they had sunken into, but it was rooted in their ease, in their comfort, and in their prosperity. So even in our own lives, personally, you know, God allows us to get tipped over, so to speak. He sends the wine workers at times to, to unsettle us. Because in those times of unsettling, we actually learn to cling to him in ways that we normally would not know. Now, I, I think all of us, if we were just asked, would probably take the option, you know, if, if the option was given to us, would you like prosperity or would you like adversity? Now, I mean, quite honestly, I'm going to opt for prosperity. I'm not going to sign up for adversity necessarily. But I have found that whether you sign up or not, if you're God's child, he will send the wine workers at times. 
He will send those, uh, those tippers. And, you know, he'll, he'll allow us to go into times of difficulty. He'll, he'll allow us to go into times of suffering. He'll allow us to go into trials. This is, this is part of the Christian life. It's not an unusual thing, although sometimes we think it is. Uh, but remember, Peter tells us not to think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some bizarre thing has happened to you. That's how we often think of it. Like, what, what is going on? How could this happen? Why is God letting this happen? And yet, God is testing our faith. Testing it in the sense of he's refining it. He's purifying it. Just as gold is refined in the fire, so the Lord allows our faith to be refined so it might be found to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus. Peter tells us that. So Moab, they're going to be tipped over. From Moab, we come to Ammon and then to Edom and At the end of chapter 49, we are reminded, verse 39, but it shall come to pass in the latter days I will bring back the captives of Elam, says the Lord. So I just wanted you to see that reference to the latter days. Elam is Persia, which is modern-day Iran. So Elam was actually on, on the border between Babylon, Assyria, and Persia. And it was uh, out of Elam that the Persian Empire arose. And so with the, the reference here to the latter days, again, think about all of those nations. If you just look at a map and you see all of the nations surrounding Israel, pretty much all of them, with few exceptions, are included in the passage here. And the in- interesting Addition to that, of course, is that those nations are all Islamic nations. And we know a little bit about Islam and about the intentions of Islam, the intention of worldwide dominion and, of course, taking back Israel, which they believe belongs to them. So you have Iran and you have this commitment on the part of Iran to obliterate the Jewish nation. So God, though, here is, as we saw already, he will make an end of these nations, but he will not make an end of Israel. So now we come to chapter 50. And chapters 50 and 51 are the judgment against Babylon. And these are long chapters here And so, like I said, we're not going to go into the details so much of the judgment, but there are definitely a few things that I want us to see. So first of all, the word that the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Verse two, declare among the nations, proclaim and set up a standard, proclaim it, do not conceal it. Say, Babylon is taken, Bel who was their chief god, is shamed. Merodach, another god, is broken in pieces.
for the month of October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. Can a Christian become demon-possessed? Is there really an unseen spiritual battle behind large-scale world events and the details of individual lives? If you've ever wondered about the unseen spiritual realm and its influence upon the physical world, then this month's book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, will answer these very questions. If you want to better understand the spiritual battle that we're involved in as Christians, how to recognize the tactics of the enemy, and how to live a victorious Christian life, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Jeremiah. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.